This is a BBP News election update. The Texas primaries have passed with the polls closing at 7 p.m. Tuesday night. And here is an update as to how the races have gone. For the governor's race, the Republican winner for the primary was Greg Abbott, the current governor. And for the Democrats, it was Beto O'Rourke. For representatives in the 1st District, for the Republican winner, it is Nathaniel Moran. And then for the Democrats, it will go into a runoff on May 24th between Jamar Jefferson and Victor Dunn. In District 6, the Republican winner was Jake Elzey, with no Democrat running. In District 8, the Republican winner was Morgan Luttrell, with the Democratic winner being Laura Jones. In District 30, both sides will have a runoff on May 24th, with the Republicans being James J. Frank Harris and James Rogers. And for the Democrats, it will be Jasmine Crockett and Jane Hope Hamilton. And in District 34, last but not least, for the Republican winner, it was Myra Flores. And for the Democrats, it was Vicente Gonzalez. This has been a BBP News election update. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of BBP News. I'm Nicholas Rod. Chris Baker's here with me, and we are back for a Friday morning episode. Chris, start us off in the normal Friday morning fashion by giving us the weather headed into this weekend. In Los Angeles, California, there are scattered showers today. It's 61 degrees and partly cloudy throughout the weekend. In Houston, Texas, it is partly cloudy, 74, with mostly cloudy conditions this weekend. And Chicago, Illinois, it is mostly cloudy today, high of 41, and a partly cloudy weekend. In New York City, it is clear, 38, with scattered showers throughout the weekend. Where I am this weekend, it's going to be supposed to be 64 on Sunday. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't know how much I would trust that until I see it. <laughs> but if that's, that's what they're scary. saying, that's what they're saying. Yeah, I mean, I'll take it. But um, no, no complaints on my end. No, none on this end either. I'm ready for spring. I think we all are over here. Getting right into the news this week, because, boy, is there a lot of it to discuss. President Biden delivered his first State of the Union address Tuesday, March 1st. And in the State of the Union, he addressed Russia and Ukraine crisis, the economy, the Supreme Court nominee, parts of the Build Back Better agenda, and supporting veterans. To find out more in specifics what was discussed, we have a special report live right now. Wherever you're listening to this, you can get a full breakdown there. Judge Jackson? Yes. This is Joe Biden. How are you? I am wonderful. How are you, Mr. President? Well, you're going to be more wonderful. I'd like you to go to the Supreme Court. How about that? Sir, I would be so honored. Well, I'm honored to nominate you. I, I am just so so overwhelmed. Well, you, you deserve it. You deserve and it. We are so, so grateful. Thank you, Mr. President. No, I meant what I said. I think it's important. You're incredibly well qualified, and I think the court should look like the country. And I mean it. So thank you, thank you. If you couldn't tell, we have a new Supreme Court nominee. The White House provided that video of him calling and asking shortly after he made the announcement Friday. Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson is his pick to replace Justice Stephen Breyer when he retires at the end of this term. 
Her nomination is historic. In the history of this country, there have been 115 people appointed and confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Of those 115, 108 of them have been white men. The only minorities to serve are two black men and five women. Judge Jackson is the first black woman to be nominated, and even though her nomination is historic, her resume is equally noteworthy. Judge Jackson is 51 years old and was born in Washington, D.C., but grew up in Miami, Florida. She has all the credentials you expect from a Supreme Court justice. She clerked for Justice Breyer. She went to Harvard Law School. She spent eight years as a federal trial judge. And just last June, she was confirmed to sit on the United States Appeals Court for the District of Columbia. Just eight months ago, eight Republicans voted for her confirmation. If confirmed, she would be the only justice on this court since Justice Marshall to have significant experience as a criminal defense attorney, as the others on the bench with trial experience have been prosecutors. Even if Judge Jackson is confirmed, the ideological balance of the Supreme Court will not change since she is a liberal replacing a liberal. It is still going to be a six to three balance on the court. Judge Jackson will continue to meet with senators next week and then have a confirmation process starting on March 21st. Why is the Ukraine location of Kyiv the main focus versus other locations in Ukraine? Kyiv is the capital of Ukraine. It is the home of over three million people and the control center of that government. This is where Russian forces have been inching closer and closer. If Russia was to take Kyiv, they would be able to seize that government and have the ability to install a whole new government that is pro-Russia and possibly capture the Ukraine officials that currently run this government. That is why you are hearing the Ukraine president say he is Russia's number one target. Putin wants him out. Speaking of possible installation of this more pro-Russian government, you may start hearing the phrase puppet government. That phrase is subjective and based on which side of the fight you are on. Puppet governments has the look of authority, but in reality, the control is held by another country. They can be hard to control and keep because ultimately the people of the country have to accept their own government. The people of Ukraine have continued to fight the invasion and not give up. It is important to understand even if Russia does take Kyiv, there could still be pockets where Ukraine continues to fight Russia for weeks and possibly longer. The fighting in Ukraine continued throughout the weekend. The redirect from Putin escalated today and is becoming more concerning. And there were two major moves that happened that you need to know about. Starting out Monday morning, the Ukrainian and Russian governments have agreed to an in-person negotiations. It happened on the border of Ukraine and Belarus. After assurances from the president of Belarus that travel for the Ukraine delegation to and from the meeting will be safe. The Ukrainian president was not in attendance, and before the meeting he said he did not have high confidence that these talks would produce any real solutions, but it was important to try. But more on those talks in a minute. The second thing is in the United States. The House and the Senate returned from recess and immediately began debate on a $6.4 billion package requested by the White House to assist Ukraine. If approved, the money would go towards several things. $2.9 billion will go to Ukraine. Ukraine's security and cyber attack prevention and 
Humanitarian aid at $3.5 billion will go to other Defense Department and State Department to support our thousands of troops that have been deployed to other countries and cover the cost of implementation of the forcing of inflation against Russia and Putin. On Thursday, the Biden administration requested another $3.6 billion for aid for Ukraine. They are hoping the $10 billion total will be passed in the final budget. And oh, by the way, in continuing the conversation of the budget, the continuing resolution is expiring in one week from today. Democrats and Republicans will voice for more aid to be sent to Ukraine, but it's unclear if $6.4 billion will be the final number. It could be more or less. Sanctions are starting to take hold in Russia after the invasion in Ukraine, and sanctions from unexpected countries are adding more world opposition against Putin. Negotiations between Russia and Ukraine went nowhere. After five hours, they ended with one agreement, and that was to meet again. The battle is still continuing throughout Ukraine, and Putin and the rest of the Russian economy are starting to see the first economic consequences of this invasion. The ruble is down 30% against the dollar. The Russian stock market didn't even open on Monday and will not be opening tomorrow. And Russian interest rates skyrocketed from 9.5% to 30%. Some of this is because of the economic sanctions from the United Kingdom and the UA. And that is just the beginning. The longer the sanctions are imposed, the harder it is going to get on the Russian economy and Putin, especially when unexpected countries start to jump in. Switzerland is a country with a strict policy of neutrality. They impose sanctions against Russia, freezing Russian assets. And Switzerland sanctioned Putin himself in closing swift airspace to Russian flights. And Germany, which does not allow weapons to be sent to conflict zones, decided to override that rule and agree to send thousands of missiles, rockets, and grenades to Ukraine to help them in their fight. There was a standing ovation at the UN Parliament for the Ukrainian president and a diplomatic walkout for the Russian foreign minister. The Russian military targeted a government building and broadcasting towers as a way to knock out the Ukraine leadership broadcasting and communication. The Ukrainian president spoke with President Biden for about 30 minutes about the conditions on the ground, and the Russians say another negotiation meeting between their delegation and the Ukraine delegation happened on Wednesday. The standing ovation matters because it is No secret that the Ukraine president, and by proxy the people he represents, have wanted to be part of the EU for years. On Monday, he signed a formal application to join the UN, furthering his alignment with Europe. And on Tuesday, he tried to further his case by appearing on live video link in front of the entire EU parliament. This, on the surface, shows even more unification of the support for the Ukrainian people, but it is unclear if that support will translate into acceptance in the EU. Countries need to meet a lot of requirements to join the 27-member bloc, including having a stable democracy and a functioning economy. The process can take up to 10 years to join, but the Ukrainian president wants 
it to be done now. Several current members of the UA that does support Ukraine doesn't think the country is ready. Historically, the EU has had several reserves about accepting Ukraine because of its political history and hasn't been wanting to challenge Russia. Now, looking at Russia, that is a totally different reaction, as one can imagine, when the Russian minister was introduced to speak at the UN about human rights and members of the UK, US and UN all walked out on the Russian speech. This is a good visual representation of what is happening on the world stage. Higher gas prices are likely coming after the price for a barrel of oil hit a mark we have not seen since 2014, and the longer Russia continues invading Ukraine, the worse things may get. To combat all of this, the president announced during the State of the Union Tuesday night, along with our European allies, that 60 million barrels of oil would be released from the strategic reserves, and more could be released if this crisis continues. The U.S. benchmark price for a gallon of crude oil hit $110 a barrel, and as I said, that is the first time since 2014 that has happened. And that price may go up. The first thing to understand is that oil is part of an interconnected global market. Shocks in part of the world can impact prices globally. Several countries are oil producing. Russia is the number two producer of crude oil, only second to the U.S. And because of these sanctions, there are fears that Russian oil could impact the market as we know it. That is scaring people and driving up the price of gas, along with all the pandemic supply problems we have been seeing in the past few months. But in the scheme of things, the U.S. does not get a lot of oil from Russia to begin with. According to the U.S. Energy Administration, the U.S. gets the bulk of its crude oil imports from Canada by a long shot. We import from about 25 different countries, but the top five are Canada, Mexico, Saudi Arabia, Russia, and Colombia. From the first half of 2021, Russia fell into the number four spot. But when you add in all those other countries, including the other 20 countries, Russia really only accounts for 4% of our crude oil import from the last half of 2021. So far, Russian imports are so small and the U.S. is the top crude oil producer, pumping out 12 million barrels a day. Why are gas prices going up, you may ask? Well, there are several reasons. One of the biggest is Americans consume a lot of gasoline. We consume more than we produced, and it's been that way since the 1960s. So far, the United States and our European allies have not yet sanctioned Russian oil because even though they are a small source of our imports, they are a major supplier of oil in Europe. The fear is Russia may cut off its oil exports as a retaliation. And remember when we said supply shocks in one part of the world will impact the entire world. That said, the White House and European leaders are leaving that door open to the United States sanctioning Russia's oil if he his invasion into Ukraine. 
A lot of people have been wondering if China will sanction Russia, and truth be told, it is hard to tell. Three weeks ago, they declared their friendship has no limits, and China has been vocal against these sanctions imposed on Russia. But over the last week, China has not sided with Russia at the UN Council meeting, instead deciding to abstain from a vote condemning Russia's invasion. Abstaining might not mean much, but experts are saying this could be a signal that Putin's actions and redirect might be testing how far China is willing to go with this relationship. We will have to wait and see how that plays out. Getting into rapid news, the MLB lockout cancels the first week of games. The continuing resolution expires one week from today. COVID positivity rates have fallen 96% from last month. Nick, what do you have for Friday morning good news? My story for this morning is a rather touching one because a dad and his five-year-old son were in the car coming home from running errands when they saw a homeless man standing in the median strip along the road. And the dad and the son were talking about giving the man some money, but the dad had no cash on him. So the five-year-old son wanted to give the man the 30 cents that was in his pocket, which was all that he had to his name. And the dad had reservations at first, but eventually decided that, hey, they wanted to teach him to be a leader and to uh, do what his heart believed in, so he agreed to let his son give the man the money. Well, once he did that, a bunch of other people that were waiting at the intersection that they were sitting at decided to roll down their windows and started giving cash as well. So essentially, a five-year-old boy started a chain of helping this man Tons of people gave cash as they were driving by, and just overall, really touching moment, and, you know, just amazing for this kid to do what he did. Give him 30 cents, all the 30 cents he had to his name, you know. Some people would be like, no, this is my 30 cents, I need it, but the five-year-old goes, you know what, he needs it more than me, and I'm bet- I bet his father is very proud of him. It- it's amazing, because, you know, on the surface... You don't think of 30 cents as being very much, but the emotional impact that it had for the man first off, because when the dad rolled down the window and told him that his son wanted to give this 30 cents, it just brightened this man's day. You know, he was smiling like crazy. And then to set off this chain reaction of people driving by and giving all they could, absolutely wonderful. That is Friday morning good news. You know, Nick, usually we say, We'll be back here Monday morning. Enjoy your weekend. But we are going to be here with you the entire weekend. All weekend. Tomorrow (laughs) we're going to be back with Nick's monthly good news. I'm looking forward to that. I'll finally be able to join this one. I wasn't here last month. Sunday, we're doing what to expect this week. Monday, we will be back with a normal news episode. And then the rest of the week, of course, Wednesday, Idiots in the News. Friday, we'll be right here to report on everything that happened in the week. But, you know, usually at this point, I... They follow some BBP news on Twitter, which do that and have a good weekend. But I'll see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night, everybody. See you tomorrow morning. Bye, guys.